Today, Noxie, Oklahoma is a quiet community, barely over a thousand souls with low crime and lots of wide open space and not much in the way of notoriety. Go back to the fall of 1975, though, and it was an even more remote little spot, populated by folks coaxing a hard living out of the land. There was no internet back then, no such thing as going viral. And Noxie wasn't the kind of place where much of anything happened anyway. You might even say it's one of the last places you'd expect big, crazy, weird, paranormal shenanigans. All of that changed, though, in September 1975. Farmer Kenneth Tosh saw something he couldn't comprehend. Something that made no sense then or now. It scared him half to death. And there was a young boy who lived on the neighboring farm. And what happened that autumn night changed his life, too. Forever. And you're about to meet him. And they got a small beam of light against the mirror. my grandmother were sitting at the table. We had just finished eating breakfast and I had gone out to the road, which is quite a while. We had quite a big place in southeastern Oklahoma. We hunted, we raised all of our own stuff, um, gardens, big, huge gardens and lots of animals at the same time. We didn't hardly go to the store for anything. So everything that we did, we got off the land. So I'm sitting there with my grandparents and all of a sudden, my grandmother starts telling a story about um, someone not too far from us who had um, was going into his pasture, and he's going in with his pickup truck, and he's got one of those pickup trucks where you've got the two the gun racks hanging in the back window, and you've got a couple of guns hanging on the back, and he's got two dogs. And so every morning and every evening, this guy would go off into his pasture. He had a big hog pen down at the end of the pasture and he would go down there and feed his hogs every evening and he was on his way down to feed his hogs and he came up to the gate he got out to open the gate and he looks down at the pasture which was probably quarter mile or more away and he could see this dark figure that looked like it was standing looking over the top of this big large hog pen now if you if you ever been around hogs and hog pen you're talking about something that the pen itself would come up to somebody that's six foot, it would come up to your chest or better. Yeah. And he's he was surprised to see that this thing was so big that it it looked like he could just bend over and reach the other side of the ground. And so the guy looks down there and he is concerned somebody is messing with his hogs. So he jumps back in his truck and he speeds down to the pins and the dogs all of a sudden are going just crazy because they picked up a scent or saw something or whatever they're in the back of the truck before he could get the truck stopped as he's going down to the pins the dog jumps the dogs jumped out but even before that he was watching this figure as he was speeding down his pasture and he couldn't go too fast because real bumpy and you know just tear tear up his truck but he was honking and flashing his lights and he's going down through there and the next thing you know he saw this 
what looked like a dark creature reach over the fence and pick up a 250 pound hog with one arm and he put it underneath his arm and he turned and he he headed toward the woods so when the guy came to the stop the dogs jump out of the car they go running after this creature and he grabs he reaches behind him grabs one of the rifles and he jumps out of the trucks and he goes after the dogs and he could hear the dogs barking way off in the distance and as he was uh, getting closer he's yelling at his dogs to come back to him and they didn't and he could hear all of a sudden one of the dogs yep you know one of those really just loud yeps and that was it then you heard one dog uh for about probably another minute and a half two minutes um barking and then the next thing you know you hear a yep from that dog and then it goes silent and the guy's continuing to run through the trees and pushing branches back and trying to get to these this location to where his dogs where he heard his dogs and he finally came up on the first dog and the first dog had been torn in half and then um he went a little bit further just looking around and the next dog was laying there with his head twisted backwards and we're talking about full probably 40 50 pound dogs that were um done like this that's the voice of dewey vaughn the little boy he's all grown up now retired from the air force where he held a top secret clearance today he has an mba owns his own business he's a husband and father and Dewey is someone who has never, until now, spoken publicly about his experience with, well, Bigfoot. I had no idea and would could have never told you what a Sasquatch was or even what the term Bigfoot was, other than maybe just to say some of my uncles had a Bigfoot. <laughs> you know, I, would, <laughs> I would not have known what that was. So I had no real idea that that was kind of what was lurking around down there. And I had no history of what that could have been. And I, I think my curiosity got the better of me most often than anything, uh, just by the description, because I oftentimes as I was hunting would look for something like that. So that's one of the stories. I've got several more, but I just wanted to share that one because that's that was the beginning of my journey. Vaughn's personal journey to unravel the mystery of Bigfoot, of the strange and inexplicable sightings and encounters with the creature, began that September night in 1975 in Knoxie, Oklahoma. The incident he describes is legendary in Sasquatch lore. They call it the Knoxie Monster. And the farmer at the very center of the story, Kenneth Tosh, that was Dewey's neighbor. The Noxy Monster incident was well documented in the press at the time. Actually, that's kind of an understatement. More like the media went wild. Now, of course, 1975 was pre-internet, so the story didn't go viral in the way news does now, but it did draw extraordinary attention to this tiny remote farming community. I looked at, um, I've looked at census data for um, Noxy, Oklahoma and the county um, and today, 
there's not but a handful over a thousand people who live in Noxie. And back when this event happened in September of 1975, it was even smaller and more isolated. And like you said, not multiple news channels, certainly no such thing as the internet, right? And yeah. and you knew your neighbors because there weren't but so many. So when you're when that news story hit of this sighting on the neighbor's farm, this creature that could hoist a fully grown hog with one hand. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. a city girl understands how unlikely that is, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for a country boy and for it to wind up in the paper, that's what gets you, right? Because, you know, you yeah. can hear stories amongst the guys telling stories, right? And so you you learn to decipher what seems to be a real story what's not. And what was interesting is that it made the paper. And that's ironic all of its own. And you knew, like your family, you may not as a child, as a kid, you may not have known everyone in town, but I have a feeling that your parents and grandparents were pretty well acquainted with um, yeah. everyone in the Noxie area and certainly with Kenneth Tosh, whose farm was down the road a ways, right? That's right. You know, and, and in those days... You know, the the farmers that lived off the land, you they didn't tell stories. They didn't tell jokes, you know. Uh, maybe they'll tell a story every once in a while of something that they've done. And typically it's a real story. It's not a made up, fictitious something, you know. And, you know, once in a while they'll tell a little ghost story or something that'll be more about ghosts. Nothing to the extent of a creature, you know, something that had the ability to do as we described. We looked at some of the local newspaper coverage of this event. Max, will you do me a favor uh -huh. and read this little article that ran in Tulsa World on September 4th, 1975. The headline, giant type, read, Harry, seven-foot visitor haunts Noxie citizens. Folks at a community northwest of here were staying up Wednesday night in the hopes of another glimpse of a seven-foot human-like creature whose eyes glow in the dark. Within the past week, no fewer than six residents of Noxie have claimed to have seen it roaming around old houses and abandoned buildings. One of them, Merriam Parrott, told authorities he has unloaded his high-powered rifle at the beast on three occasions, but failed to even stun it. It just walked away, said Parrott, who refuses to go anywhere now without his rifle. Said to be covered with hair and bearing human-like facial features, the Noxie visitor was last reported seen in the pre-dawn darkness Monday by at least three persons. I don't know what they saw, but they sure saw something, said Nowata County Undersheriff Harold Lay. One woman was almost hysterical, and her husband seriously said his knees were still knocking. Lay said he may make plaster cast Thursday of footprints found near Noxie, located just south of the Kansas border. One person who saw the prints Wednesday, however, said they appeared to be that of a child. So that's a taste of some of the local coverage. And it's interesting because the people who were the alleged eyewitnesses of this seven foot tall, hairy Noxie monster were the last people you would pick for any kind of drama. These were grown adults. These were farmers. These were hardworking people, right? The Noxie monster incident made news as far away as Tampa, Florida. Monster haunts Noxie. Noxie, Oklahoma, UPI. Farmer Ken Tosh said he saw the monster seven feet tall, 
hairy, foul-smelling, and with eyes that glowed like a cat. It's got the sheriff worried, the people that is, not the monster. I was within ten feet of it before I saw him, said Tosh. Thirty. He growled and ran one way. I screamed and ran the other. Tosh is one of several residents of this tiny farming community to report sighting what has been dubbed the Noxie Monster. The people are scared, Tosh said. Anything that comes around, they'll shoot. We couldn't capture him. The reported sightings panicked residents, and armed bandits of hunters have been roaming the rolling timber-covered hills along the Oklahoma-Kansas border, hoping to get a shot at the creature. The little wild incident in Noxie, Oklahoma, where there were almost no people, even made news as far away as Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Noxie Monster Vexus Sheriff. Noxie, Oklahoma, UPI. Farmer Ken Tosh said that he saw the monster, seven feet tall, hairy, foul-smelling, and with eyes that glowed like a cat. It's got the sheriff worried. The people, that is, not the monster. I was within ten feet of it before I saw him, said Tosh, 30. He growled and ran one way. I screamed and ran the other. Tosh is one of several residents of this tiny farming community to report sighting what has been dubbed the Noxie Monster. The people are scared, Tosh said. Anything that comes around, they'll shoot. We couldn't capture him. The reported sightings panicked residents and armed bands of hunters have been roaming the rolling timber-covered hills along the Oklahoma-Kansas border, hoping to get a shot at the creature. Nawada County Sheriff Bob Arnold is more worried about hunters than the monster. We're going to get some righteous people killed by some idiot, Arnold said Thursday. I'm telling reporters to stay away from here because they might get shot, and I'd hate to have to fill my jail with some of the good people around here. I had an unconfirmed report last night that there had already been one horse and two dogs shot by these gun-crazed idiots running around drinking. A young person in this day and age with long hair and a lot of stuff on his face might at night look like a wolf man and one of these guys that are drinking beer might want to blow him to bits. Arnold attributes the Noxie monster to a combination of beer, heat, and vivid imagination. Some folks here think that Noxie monster may have been the same one which raised a ruckus 13 months ago a few miles away near Watova, Oklahoma. But the creature reported at Watova was two feet shorter than the one seen here at Noxie. Despite his skepticism, Arnold says he'll keep an eye out for the creature. Maybe we'll luck out and find a monster and a UFO, both, he joked. I've never seen one of those either. Listen, what was happening in Little Noxie, Oklahoma, that news even made it all the way to Hollywood, where it attracted the attention of legendary film and TV producer David Wolper. You know his work. Roots, Welcome Back Cotter, L.A. Confidential, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and dozens more TV shows and movies. Producer offers $10,000 for movies of Monster. Noxie, Oklahoma. A Hollywood producer is offering up to $10,000 for home movies of a foul-smelling seven-foot monster reportedly roaming the timber-covered hills south of the Oklahoma-Kansas border. That's nice, said Nawada County Sheriff Bob Arnold. It's gone up $5,000 since he called me last week. Now I suppose we'll be getting swarmed again. Uh, the offer came from producer David Wolper. The Noxie monster attracted Wolper's attention as he searched for a real-life film to add to his dramatized documentary, Bigfoot, 
The Mysterious Monster, dealing with the legendary hairy beast reported in the Pacific Northwest. Arnold said the tiny community of family farms finally had started to quiet down, although those who had reported seeing the hairy beast still were nervous. If anybody tried to fake it, a film, coming up here in a gorilla suit or something, they might get more than their picture taken, and that would be prone. Arnold said he doubted anybody had film of the Noxie monster, nor were the local inhabitants likely to film it in the future. See, it was a big story. Remote little Noxie, Oklahoma was suddenly at the very center of a cryptozoological cyclone. Wasn't long, though, before witnesses and residents stopped talking to reporters. Online trolling wasn't yet invented in 1975, but branding people as kooks and liars and attention seekers is an age-old human tradition. And the hardworking folks of Nawada County, Oklahoma, had neither the appetite for the spectacle nor the time. Witnesses like Kenneth Tosh were adamant. They'd seen what they'd seen. They knew what they knew. And besides, the Noxie monster was far from the first sighting of its kind in Oklahoma. There are reports of baffling hairy man-shaped beasts spotted in Nawada County that date back to the early 1900s. But this September 1975 sighting, this happened to a man Dewey's family knew. And Dewey knew that land as well as he knew anything in his young life. You had told me that your family, you were subsistence farmers, and that part of the reason that you were all such skillful hunters and trackers is because whatever you couldn't grow, you were out hunting and harvesting in terms of food. So your family, um, from your earliest childhood, you weren't a recreational outdoorsman. It was a subsistence situation. Do I have that right? Mm -hmm. That is correct. We we fed five different families. And so like clockwork, um, basically it was the farmer's almanac that kind of kicked things off when we would start tilling the ground and what crops would go in at what times. And during the winter time, we would always harvest meats, um, whether that was a wild boar or hogs of our own um, or deer that we would go and hunt or maybe cattle that we would be raising. We would put meat up in the freezer and we had this um, big outdoor shack and there were five different freezers. And so every time that we harvested anything or um, we would go hunting for something, we would split it up by five and we would basically fill up those five freezers. So that way in the winter time, there was always food when food wasn't necessarily around. We didn't, in other words, we didn't go to the grocery store and buy anything other than maybe flour or sugar, or, you know, some of those processed uh, stuff that we would have. So quite often every year we would fish um, and we would harvest a lot of fish uh, during uh, June, during the springtime and late fall, we would try to harvest twice a year. And, and what that means is that we would go out and set out jug lines and we would do um, all kinds of uh, different fishing types of things. <laughs> we would we would put that meat up, and then every time that we would go and harvest the garden, we would also split that up. So there was lots of you know corn and tomatoes and potatoes, and I think we had peanuts and all kinds of things that we would just uh, work really hard at splitting up. And the whole family got together at those times. And we also shared 
you know, the holiday times and things like that together as well. So, yes, we we basically all lived off of the land. And no matter how widespread or hysterical the media coverage, the people who knew him believed the story Kenneth Tosh told. The news coverage at the time, um, they interviewed the sheriff of Nawada County. His name at the time was Sheriff Bob Arnold. Uh-huh. And because something like this was so unlikely in Noxie, Oklahoma, just so unlikely, period, in that part of the world, that the sheriff said he was more worried about people hunting the monster than any monster. He said, quote, we're going to get some righteous people killed by some idiot. I'm telling reporters to stay away from here because they might get shot. And I'd hate to have to fill my jail with some of the good people around here. So the reaction in the town at the time of the sighting of this creature um, was not necessarily widespread panic or even disbelief. It was a, a little bit of a mix of everything, or at least that's how it seems. Did, did anybody offer any alternate explanation for things that we do know rather than things that we don't know as to what happened um, with this situation with the farmer and the dogs? No. You know, what? what's interesting is... Again, there's in that time period, there wasn't, a, especially probably not a lot now, even today, there's not a lot of storytelling. What what typically happens is you things like that do kind of make the paper because there's not a lot of news in the first place. So, you know, when, when a farmer comes up and tells you something like that is a whole lot different than some young guy who just came into town and has a story to tell. These guys have been around a long time. As you mentioned earlier, Sherry, it was it was a small knit community, and nobody wants to get, you know, ridiculed for something that they didn't see. This gentleman believed everything that he saw, and it was he had all the proof. And I think maybe that was why they put it in the paper. I don't know. I didn't couldn't do a lot of investigation at the time myself, but you know, as my life has gone forward, I have done a lot of research out in the woods and I still do that today. Even the sheriff of Nawada County took the incident seriously, at least at first. It's always fun when you look back at um, news reports of, of a sighting like this because you'll get without without it really being intentional, you'll get a glimpse into the pop culture at the moment. Because one of the ways that the sheriff um, decided to kind of tamp down the panic because you did have people, according to the news, you did have people out patrolling with guns. There were people, there was another man who claimed that he had also seen this creature and had shot at it five times. And so in an effort to kind of bring the panic down, here's what Sheriff Bob Arnold said. Now, remember, this is September 1975. I'm not sure when we went into the Hotel California, but it had to be right around here. Anyway, hippies, because here's what the sheriff said. He said, quote, young person in this day and age with long hair and a lot of stuff on his face might at night look like a wolf man. And one of these guys that are drinking their beer might want to blow him to bits. Maybe we will luck out and find a monster. I've never seen one of those. So look at that using humor and pop culture in an effort to deflect attention away from what for the folks involved was a genuinely frightening encounter. Noxie was small but it was also a tight community. So if we had lots of, uh, one of our neighbors had chickens that were disappearing a lot, or, you know, hogs were getting out or cattle getting out, we would all jump together and go out and 
um, round them up. A lot of times it was cattle getting out. And so we would immediately jump on the horses and we would throw them in the trailers and we would run out to wherever they might have gotten out. We'd round them all back up. And it would be just because somebody had called and said, hey, I can't, I need some help. My cows are out and they're going to get on the highway somewhere. So, you know, we would we would all jump together to go do something. Like that. And if there was any sort of threat beyond what we're talking about now, we would obviously, you know, jump jump in it at, at that time. And it was interesting. Recently, you're, you're talking about that time period. I just discovered just not too long ago of a movie that was done, I guess, in the late 70s or mid 70s about Bigfoot Sasquatch that, you know, all of that was happening. I guess the um, Patterson Gimlin film was was in Washington in the late 60s. Right. And so they did this big hunt. And I don't know if you've seen that show or not, but it's easily uh, you can go find it somewhere. Uh, anyway, they talked about um, a lot of people going out and hunting these types of creatures. And they talked about some of the similarities to the extent in 1975, they were wanting to go to Congress and put some sort of law in place that would uh, protect them. Right. So I think even from way back, there was a movement. Of course, I had no idea what it was until I was probably in my 20s. Ah, yes, the Patterson-Gimlin film. No conversation about Sasquatch is complete without a mention of this controversial and still unexplained 59.5 seconds of footage that was captured in 1967 along Bluff Creek in a remote patch of Northern California. The two filmmakers, Roger Patterson and Robert Gimlin, were on horseback when they first sighted what the men described as a hairy, ape-like, bipedal creature. Patterson reported that his horse reared in response to sensing the creature and that he dismounted and pulled his camera from a saddlebag before pursuing the figure on foot. This accounts for the shakiness of the first portion of the footage. The two men reported that the creature glanced back at them, causing Patterson to drop to his knees and thus capturing the most provocative image in the history of hunting Sasquatch. It's called the famous look back. This is followed by about 14 seconds of the creature disappearing into the trees, then reappearing as Patterson changes position. And then frustration of all frustrations, the creature disappears entirely into the wooded landscape as the film runs out. Cause you know, today we can roll cell phone video for hours on cats and babies and sunsets, but Patterson and Gimlin were very sorely limited by the length of a spool of 16 millimeter film. So Roger Patterson maintained that the film was legitimate and not a hoax of any kind until his death of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1972. Robert Gimlin is still alive today. He's 91 years old. And he likewise insisted the footage is real, unmanipulated, and genuine. For every debunker out there now screaming at their speakers, they faked it to get rich and famous. Well, the facts do not exactly support that. In fact, both Patterson and Gimlin went on to express regret that they'd shot the film at all, saying that it would have been a way better plan to shoot the creature and have a body as evidence. So rich, in their case, amounted to not hardly. And famous meant a decades-long attack on their integrity and credibility. You can lose like a whole week 
diving into all the various investigations and attempts to prove the Patterson-Gimlin footage of hoax. And that's not what we're here to do today. And, and I wouldn't even know where to begin debunking or disproving it. And I think y'all know that I do not even want to. I want to hear Dewey's story. So let's get back to that. I remember reading um, a brief snippet of an interview with Kenneth Tosh, the farmer who chased this creature through the fields in his pickup truck, who lost his dogs and his hog that night. And Kenneth Tosh said that he had never been so scared of anything. And he, he was a Vietnam veteran. And he said, I was more afraid that night in my own field than I ever was in Vietnam. You know, that's, that is incredible. I, I didn't realize that he was, uh, in, uh, that he was over there. But, you know, one of the things that we did do after that story came out and we were hunting and we were consistently hunting in that area up until I was probably 25, uh, I can tell you that there were certain times that things were happening that were unexplained. I'll give you, for example, I was um, going from a deer stand, and I'm one of those guys that I like to hunt way away from everyone. If I can figure out the furthest most corner of a place, that's where I go. Just because I don't want to be around anybody, I don't want to take the chance of shooting anybody, you know, I want to be out there where nobody else is hunting. So I was on a long hike. And so I was heading to the hike, and on the right-hand side of me, um, was this ridge line. And as I went to my deer stand, it was dark and I was walking this old logging road and I could hear what sounded to be like big footsteps that were up on the ridge. And the ridge from me must have been about, I'd say probably 40 feet or so, uh, 50 feet. So it was, it was close enough. I could hear stuff going, but I couldn't see up the ridge. Of course, it was dark anyway. And every once in a while, I'd hear a, a rock tumble down. And one of the things that I always think about uh, in that situation is mountain lions. Mountain lions oftentimes will track beside you. And um, but there was it was a distinct footstep that was a bipedal type footstep. I could hear and count the steps as they were happening. So I wrote it off. Didn't think anything of it. I really wrote it off as somebody one of the camp. Somebody else that was hunting in that area is walking alongside me and they're going to their deer stand. So I get out to my deer stand and I do my hunting through the day. Didn't get much. Came, decided to about 9, 10 o'clock, decided to come on back to the camp, cold and ready for some coffee. And on now the ridge line's on the other side of me. So I'm walking back out and and I start hearing those footsteps. Now it's daylight. I can look up there and see, but there's so many trees. It's kind of a shadow thing. I go down in there a little ways, and the next thing you know, there was rocks that were that came that didn't tumble down like you would know that you you can hear rocks typically tumbling off of a ridge because they start a little high up and they roll down, and you'll hear them tumbling. These actually flew like they were flying almost over my head. I could see them fly over my head and land in front of my feet, and I turned around really fast because it scared me, startled me. So I turned around really fast and looked back to see if maybe I had a cousin or some one of my hunting buddies that was back there messing with me. And so I thought for sure that uh, that was the case. And so I go down a little bit further and it happens again. It happens about three times on that trail. And I I don't have much room between the logging road that I'm at and, 
and then a steep drop off. So I couldn't go out very far to look very high on the ridge. But there was obviously something up there throwing rocks at me. Well, I get back to the camp where I know we have the entire area already leased. So nobody else can be out there except us. And so I go back and they, I, I ask around. And of course, nobody was in my area, which is typical because I'm always going to the outside stuff. Well, it was interesting. I, when I finally realized the, what Sasquatch or Bigfoot was at the time, and when I got into my 20s, I all of a sudden, my mind went back to that spot of me hearing all of that. And I all of a sudden got scared for the first time. <laughs> I was scared 20 years later <laughs> or 10, 10 years later. We're living in, uh, you know, 2023 now, modern times where we have, you know, a different Bigfoot hunting documentary on cable TV every other Thursday. And everyone talks about Bigfoot and Yetis and Sasquatches. But we have to remember that back in the 70s, before you had all this media proliferation, before there were so many um, outlets for people to tell these kind of stories, yeah. you didn't hear these kind of stories. And today yeah, when we think of... Right. You know, when we think of Bigfoot spotters, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, Pacific Northwest. But what folks don't realize is that um, Oklahoma in the 70s was a hotbed for sightings yeah. of these large bipedal creatures. In September of 1971, multiple people near Oakwood, Oklahoma, saw a creature that they described as being very like um, a gorilla there were similar gorilla creature sightings in that part of Oklahoma in the late 1960s. Then in 1974 in Watova, Oklahoma, there was a reported sighting of a creature about six feet tall, built like a man, but covered in coarse hair. And then one year later, September 1975, Noxie, Oklahoma, there's this wild story of farmer Kenneth Tosh and his dogs and his hog and this unbelievable incident where other people then came forward and said, I know what he's talking about. I shot at it too. So it's important when we're talking about something that happened in 1975 to put our 1975 hats on and realize mm -hmm. that there was a ton of strange activity in your home state back in the day. And here's the aha moment, or it should be the aha moment for most people most people don't even re think or most people look at the Patterson Gimlin film that happened in the 60s where they actually got video of uh, this creature. And they, it was in the Pacific Northwest, as you talked about. And they thought, I mean, that's kind of day one for everyone. So that's kind of some sort of reality check. And so you start thinking that that's the only place that there is because the 1970s movie that came out where they did this big research uh, project that they went out into the Pacific Northwest. Everything is focused out there. And so I often talk about talk to people about the numbers of potential Sasquatch uh, or Bigfoot, um, uh, the number that are out there. I've heard people say that they're in the 30s, 30,000s of creatures that are existing now at, at various sizes and stages. I know for a fact, I'm here in um, northern New Mexico now, and two years ago, maybe it was closer, two and a half years ago, I guess, I was up in the mountains uh, hiking with my my son and his kids, and we came across a, a, a long set of footprints 
that were um, two creatures, one smaller slightly than the other, all walking in a single line, and it was it was snow in the snow. And I have copies of those pictures. And what's interesting is that you can see right next to it or right near it is um, tracks of an excavator, a small uh, ditching machine thing, which we all know is pretty heavy. But that did not uh, make its way through the snow. The footprints did. And so I was showing this to someone uh, who was in the um, veterinary world. And the first thing that they noticed was the heat that it would have taken in order to melt the snow all the way down to the ground. And so you see these line of footprints. There's probably a, a dozen or so different footprints, and you can see the difference in each one of them. So it looks like there's two going side by side. So here I am in northern New Mexico. There was sightings in Oklahoma when I was a kid. There's the known, all the known sightings that are all over the place in um, Pacific Northwest. So you begin to think of how many of these are out there. Sometimes uh, I often will hear people say, well, the Bigfoot, the Bigfoot. Well, there's lots of big feet. <laughs> <laughs> quick sidebar, quick. Is it even remotely possible that we have enough wild territory left in these United States to support the existence of an as yet unknown intelligent bipedal species? Is there any place in this whole country where human beings aren't? It's a good question. It's a fair question. So just how much wild land is left in the USA? The Pacific Biodiversity Institute set out to answer that question calculating all the wild and roadless land in the U.S., including Alaska and Puerto Rico. Land that's both protected, meaning state and federal lands, as well as unprotected. And the answer came back as, oh my God, it is so, so, so much. Protected wilderness accounts for roughly 106 million acres, but that's only 16% of the total wild land. Now, granted, most of the wild land left in America is in Alaska, but not all of it, not by a long shot. The Institute's findings were released in 2001, so I will definitely grant you that a few patches of that wild land today might be a Starbucks or a Holiday Inn Express or a truck stop. But still, that'd only be a drop in the vast bucket. And check this out. The Institute also acknowledged that there is significant wild land in private ownership. So I'm gonna quote from that section of the report, ready? Quote, these additional wild areas play a very significant role in providing habitat for species that are sensitive to human disturbance. Cue the eerie music, right? Cause see, like we think we have every corner of this nation mapped and we don't. The next time you take a cross-country flight, grab a window seat and have a look. Vast, seemingly empty landscapes unspooling far below. Not a road, not a house, not a cell tower in sight. And as comforting as it is to think, like, shh, it's okay, we know everything. The truth is, no, we don't. You know, the quickest way to get yourself flagged as a kook nowadays even more so than like i believe in aliens is to say i believe in in bigfoot because people are so quick to say if it existed we'd have found it if there if there was a creature out there we'd know it but to say that is to fail to take into account how extraordinarily 
vast and empty and unexplored so much of these United States, actually? Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to share a theory of mine. And I I've been kind that. of going going along with this. And I, I every time I go hiking, I look for signs. I look for signs in the trees. I look for footprints. I look for structures. I look for uneven uh, tree layers. Um, so I'm always looking for different things. And I, I find it uh, quite often in different places. Uh, but what I think, and I, I watch Bigfoot stuff all the time, and I, I'm kind of doing my own little research. And what I think is that we have a, a cross between, and, and maybe the Gigantopithecus is a good example of what that might look like, but it is a creature that is part human and could be part ape in some way or some descendant of some human. But part of, you got to think about it, this is a creature that is extremely fast, extremely strong in everything that you see. And uh, based on some voice uh, documents that I have heard and, and looked at, the theory is, is that there is a common language that they also speak. So let's, let's think about this for a minute. If you uh, were, I don't think that they are at all intimidated by us. I think they are more doing their best to kind of stay away from us. Obviously, they will attack uh, if in, in the wrong spots. And obviously, if you're out by yourself, you're probably going to be susceptible to something like that. But I think my, my theory is that they are doing their best to stay away from us because, you think about it, if one of those were captured, what's the first thing we would do? We would start taking blood samples. We would start looking at genetics. We would start doing everything we could to try to figure out how this creature was so big, how this creature had, was so strong. How do we replicate it? I mean, science goes off into all kinds of different things. And I think part of this could be that they kind of are a tribe of their own in some, some way. And I think that there's an intelligence there uh, that, that makes them, at least in the woods, way smarter than we are. I want to jump in here and, and say for anyone who's listening to this and going, oh my God, this guy is a kook. Um, <laughs> do we, <laughs> I mean, because and I know you've had a lifetime of that. Do we Vaughn, the little boy that grew up learning how to farm and track and hunt, who could identify noises in the night based on an animal's size and weight and nocturnal habits. That little boy ended up enlisting in yep. the air force, serving his country is a an owner of a business. You are not someone who's living, you know, in an abandoned airstream in the desert, talking to your socks. I mean, this is this has been a legitimate no. obsession and field of study for you. But not only Dewey, but there's a whole lot of people, people who are very reputable, who haven't had encounters like this that are not explainable. So I think there's there's a there really is a tonnage of um, stories and information out there about this that would lead you to believe that there is something we don't know that is out there living in the woods. Yeah, exactly. And and here's the thing. And from uh, you know, to my credibility, I've been in the world of finance and behind a computer for a lot of my life. You know, and I I buy and sell companies, and my wife and I, you know, we have a couple of houses. So you know, from a success standpoint, we're we're success. I have a master's degree in business and a business science degree, and I graduated college as a summa cum laude. So, you know, from 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 that standpoint, um, 
you know, that doesn't take away my ability to go into the woods and be able to read signs. I mean, I often will get people that will say, well, we need professionals out here to, and we we need real science behind looking for these creatures. Well, as you just pointed out, I was born and raised in the woods. And I can tell you, for the most part, I may not be able to tell you every track that I see, but I can pretty much tell you what it's not. And I can tell you um, maybe what it could be and what's probably close to it. And from that from that standpoint, when you look at a, a footprint like the ones that I have pictures of that I've seen, I lay my foot next to it. It I have a, a size nine foot and I'm I'm almost a little over half the size of this foot. That's as, but, uh, as much science as you really need behind it. My foot's going to, you know, this big footprint's going to supersede mine. And I don't know anybody that's got feet that big. And nobody that I know of is walking around barefooted in the woods. Of, of the mountains of northern New Mexico in yeah, the wintertime with northern, snow on that, the ground. That's the, that's, yeah. the most recent, that's the most recent ones I've seen. Um, of course, I've seen a lot of them in uh, northern Texas. Um, seen them around Oklahoma and everywhere I go, I'm always looking for different things. And when I love to go hike or get out in the woods, that's, you know, I, I do my day stuff, but I really love doing my weekend stuff. When my wife and I get out and get a chance to go hike somewhere, we'll pick someplace new and off the beaten path and, you know, try to look for certain things like that. So, you know, as it relates to, you know, whether I am knowledgeable or not, I think what happens mostly is we forget about common sense. And, you know, being raised in the woods, one of the first things that was ever taught to us, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, most often it's a duck. So, you know, so we, 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 I think people forget to apply common sense when they're out there looking at some of this stuff. They want them, they want to turn it into something you know, more than what it is. It's a footprint to a creature that has the ability to stay away from us and has the ability to move faster than we've ever seen. Something that is stronger than most uh, apes in the woods. I mean, it's it's an amazing creature. And when uh, I, I wouldn't even call it a creature. I think it's probably closer to human than we might think. Dewey, do you think that in your lifetime, we will find the kinds of um, definitive answers that would put this mystery to rest? You know, here's the thing. Yes, I think it's a matter of time. But here, here was a comment that I heard from Elon Musk one time when he was asked whether or not there was aliens in the universe. And I know it's a bigger conversation, but he said, if there's one, there's thousands. And I think that's the answer we're going to find here. If there's one... There's thousands. And we already know by common sense, by these stories we're talking about today, from the things that happened in 1975, from the film that happened in the 60s, and you're talking about two different parts of the country, and there's not just one Bigfoot that goes from, from Washington all the way down to the reports of the skunk apes down in Florida. That, that, that's not one single being that goes all that, all that distance. There's many of them. Do you think that if that, if the events of your childhood in Noxie back in 1975 had not gone down, I mean, your family knew Kenneth Tosh. He was a neighbor, right? This was your little town that you grew up in. 
Do you think that if, if you had lived somewhere else and had not had that direct personal experience that you would um, be as fascinated by the Sasquatch as you are and as convinced of its reality as you are? No, I think that, uh, no, I don't think I would. I mean, for the most part, here's the thing is I'm not on a bandwagon that, um, it, that, that I just decided, like you said, live in a trailer out in the desert to, to, to try to find something like that. I know from experience it's there. And, and I hear this often when I'm looking and researching these different videos that I hear or conversations or sometimes write-ups, when people say, when you see it, you know. Well, when you've been around it, and all of a sudden for me, it all came together when my 20s, when I went off to the Air Force and all of a sudden got out of the woods, so to speak, and I came across that story of Bigfoot, I all of a sudden went, aha, now I know what that was. Now that makes sense. Now I... Now I have a new appreciation of what I heard, what I saw, what I read, you know, all of that, all of that came together for me. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to try to jump on anybody's bandwagon. I'm going to go out there and actually try to find evidence of my own. And I have, I've seen evidence that makes no sense at all. When you have, when you see tree structures that are the root ball is hanging upside down in a tree or, or shoved in the ground or, you know, some sort of twisting of branches that absolutely makes no sense. Um, common sense has to kick in, like I mentioned. Uh, but I that's kind of where what has brought me to this. And this is my first time ever talking about it, actually, openly, besides my wife. And, and I have to say, I'm so grateful that you were willing to have this conversation with us because something that you need to understand about Dewey Vaughn is that he's not a Bigfoot guy. He's he's a million other things, but you're never going to see him, you know, on some travel channel documentary listening for screams in the woods. This is someone who has lived a completely different life but who has kept this from that personal experience in childhood all the way through adulthood, this conviction and this faith. And because of your woodscraft, you know, your, your knowledge of, of what happens outside and in the woods and with animals and the changing nature of the seasons and what kind of evidence animals moving through the landscape leave. It's really powerful for me because you really are not looking to gain anything. If, if anything, this could disrupt your peace. Talking exactly. about it publicly. Exactly. You know, and at this point in my life, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not as, whether this ever gets out and people know that I'm, I'm that, I wouldn't mind. I don't care. I just, I know what I know. And just like those people that do know what they know or seen what they've seen, you know, there's always these people that are going to say that's not real. It's not true. There's not enough evidence. And um, I really think we're talking about a creature that's much smarter than we're giving it credit. We, we, we hunt it, or not we, it isn't me, but there are people out there hunting it as if, as if the creature is as smart as a deer or as, as smart as some hog. We're not, we're talking about something that's got more intelligence than we're giving it credit to because they have done a really good job of evading us and staying away from us. 
Dewey, I'm curious, just in your opinion, what um, what drives the skeptics to be so um, derisive and, you know, so mocking of the kinds of experiences that some people have had? I mean, poor Kenneth Tosh, his life was mm-hmm. never the same after that night in that pasture and not in a good way. Right. I mean, you, right. you really risk becoming like a laughingstock. What do you suppose drives that? Like for me, I think it's fear. It's terrifying to think that there's an entire world that we inhabit that's unknown to us. And so I think fear can drive people to be very dismissive and and mocking. What do you think it is? I I think you hit on it a lot. Fear drives a lot of different things. I mean, I deal with that in in business, uh, the world of business. So we fear is always, it can either work for you or it can work against you. And I think in a lot of cases, you're right. Some some people always want to find an opportunity to prove somebody else wrong or to to cast doubt in every way possible. And I think they just do that just for for the sake of doing it. I don't think that there's any real reason behind that. And when you have an experience like this, and, and probably in most experiences, whether you've had experiences with a UFO or you've had experiences in the wood with some creature, or you had any experience to any degree, or you're in the water and you've seen a big shark that come at you, any experience, you're, it's real to you. And it's real to every person that has had that experience. And I think a lot of times other people go, oh, no, I can't believe that. No, I've, I've been scuba diving all my life and I've seen one shark in my life and it was a small one, you know, it, it's not the same. So when when they cast doubt, I think fear is one of those reasons. Um, I think more often than not, you know, we have this innate nature to want to be one-upping the next guy. We want to just say, no, that guy didn't see a Bigfoot or I saw something bigger than that. Or, you know, there's always this need of, of being bigger and better than the next guy too. I think those two are probably the two things that would be behind them. And it's such a fallacy too, to define the world just through the lens of your own experience. Like for example, um, I've worn a bathing suit a million times and I've never been on the cover of sports illustrated. That doesn't mean swimsuit models don't exist. Right. I mean, you cannot, you cannot expect (laughs) reality. You know, to conform to your idea of it. And there are people that find the unknown and the inexplicable so frightening. And it challenges the foundations of their beliefs and and the way, the very careful way that they construct reality. They need the world to be small and fully known. But of course, here at True Weird Stuff, we want the world to be big and filled with endless mysteries. Because isn't it more wonderful to live in a world where there's always something behind a door that you've never seen before. How can you think that with your primitive five senses and your tiny little monkey hands that you have a total grasp on reality? That's the thing that always gets me. Yeah, you know, and that's okay. I love, here's another example of that. I have taken people in the woods that are city folks, right? And I will um, tell them, okay, here's a track that is this. And then some guy comes over my shoulder and looks down and goes, oh, no, that's not what that is. That's a, something else. And, so, and I, 
you, you look at them and you go, you know, how much time have you spent in the woods? Maybe you went on a hike when you were 10. You know, <laughs> so you get people that are much like that. And I think that's what we have to deal with in, in this world. But at, at the end of the day, you know, for me, when I go out there, I, I, I'd love if I could be ever in the presence of a Bigfoot or Sasquatch, that would be a golden day for me. I've seen their evidence. I know they're out there. And I know that at some point, being in the right place at the right time, it can happen. And I know for a fact that when I come away from that experience telling people about it, I'm going to get just as much strife for it. Dewey, do you think that um, for people that have reported an eyewitness sighting of this creature, do you think that they spotted the creature or that the creature allowed itself to be seen? You know, that that's interesting. I think for the most part is probably some of both. I mean, you got to think of it from this standpoint, because you look at every one of these videos, most of the time, here's a creature that stands behind a tree and does this swaying motion. And they do this swaying motion behind the tree that peeks around the tree, right? And and you, it, it, there's there's tons of videos and and every time somebody says something, so that is what the Indians and stuff used to use when they would go to hunt deer and stuff like that. They would sway themselves to make it look like it was a branch swaying in the wind instead of just trying to be seen. You kind of break up yourself. It's kind of like being it's camouf it's a camouflage, camouflage. tactic. Yeah. So and the, and so in doing so like that, you have to you have to think, you know, that could be some sort of animalistic tactic, but it's also one that we use. So if 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 they were really wanting to stand out, out from behind the tree and stand there, then yes, I would think that they would probably um, want someone to be seeing them in some way. So being seen, does that mean that they are allowing us to see them just because? Or maybe they are doing it as a protection mechanism, you know, to say that, okay, I'm going to let myself be seen and they're going to get scared and they're not going to come around. Maybe there's a, a, a young one and there's plenty of videos and plenty of uh, photos of younger ones. Uh, maybe there's a younger one nearby. And so you would make yourself present to scare off the other other people. That's a sign of intelligence. That's that's kind of like a bear trying to protect their cubs in some way. So maybe it's animalistic, maybe it's intelligence, but you know, I think that, yes, I think if they are there to be seen, especially in situations like, like that. Now, if, if they see somebody that's trudging across the mountain, I just saw an article just a few days ago that was a picture of a Sasquatch that was covered in snow. The hair was completely frozen. Like you see branches that are full of snow. The hair was snow. And the photos were taken from a camera that was at a national park. So it was a forest service type camera. So it's, just, I think, a CCTV type camera. And here's this creature walking. Um, and of course, they walk so much that you kind of make them think it looks like a man. But this looks like a ghillie suit sort of thing that's covered in in this frozen hair looking thing just recently that was the case and so if they get seen in a situation like that i think that's just accidental 
But if they're standing up there somewhere that they're looking down at you and they're not behind one of those trees, they're probably trying to let you know that they're there. I have had one of our experience where we were in a tent and it was late at night and it was, um, it looked like a big hand was trying to push its way through the tent. And so at the time I thought maybe it might've been like a bear, you know, bear will stand up on two legs and it might, if it's trying to get to something, it might push its way into a tent. Well, um, so I, w- I was in the tent, it was a big tent. I was in the tent with um, two other guys. So it was three of us in there. We were getting ready to um, go to, get down for the night. We're gonna go hunt the next day. And we, we all looked at each other and looked at this thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a nose, like a, you would see a dog pushing their nose through a piece of cloth. Uh, mm-hmm. or something like this was this huge looking hand thing that was there. And we all, all of a sudden had no idea knowing what it was. We're really concerned that um, we might be looking at uh, an elk or some something that was far bigger. So we grabbed a shoe and threw at it. And all of a sudden we hear this, huge grunt that sounded like nothing we'd ever heard before and we it 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 didn't scare it by any means because we could tell it was still standing out there and the next thing we know we heard it going off into the distance and so (laughs) later the next day we didn't even come out that night later the next day um we came around because we i have really thought it i mean for me first thing i said was bear but then I couldn't answer the question as to why that that paw or hand was as big as it was. And typically you would see two paws, right? Because a bear can't, if it starts moving in a momentum going forward, it'd have to have both paws in the tent. And so um, we kind of discounted that off. And I don't think we talked about that much after that. But uh, that was another experience. Do we? Uh, Despite the title of the show, I am not a psychic, but I'm going to go ahead and read Max's mind right now. Max is sitting here thinking, wait, so you and your two friends are in a tent in the woods at night and an enormous hand paw kind of a thing is coming into your tent and then there's a pushing into the tent. Yeah. And then there's a y'all threw a shoe at it and then there's a loud grunt and then everybody goes to sleep and. Um, we would have. I don't, I don't know that we just kind of went to sleep. I don't know. Who okay. I wouldn't sleep for three days. <laughs> you know, like how in the Roadrunner cartoon, like the cartoon character would go through the wall of the tent and leave a shape yeah. Yeah. Of, of itself. <laughs> that would be Max racing on foot for the nearest truck stop before he trapped himself. And this is all yeah. we would talk about until we died. Like, I can't. Yeah. And, you know, if it were me by myself or even me and one other. I think it, because there was three of us and we were proud kind of outdoorsmen like I, I think none of us got to the point where we would run out we did talk about jumping out but we were concerned that if it was a bear what we yeah. didn't know is it was it by itself you know um and, and we were going to go out we don't have bear tags so we can't shoot a bear um and if there was a moose or if it was an elk uh, or something like that. We don't have tags for that either. 
And but of course, I, I do have to jump in here. I did grow up out west, and I know fully well that moose and elk have hooves, not paws or hands, yeah. right? So how could it be yeah. a moose or an elk? Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, so again, <laughs> it goes back to what we talked about earlier. When people are out there and they're always wanting to throw other ideas that, oh, surely it's not what I think I saw. It's a bear or it was a something else surely it's not that or other people that discount your story to say oh yeah you just don't know what it was it could have been a bear it could have been anything uh, that was not a sasquatch or not a bigfoot you know it could have been anything well, but that but in reality I'm reading I'm reading the internet's mind too and the internet is asking ask him if he smelled something cuz you know uh, oh, one yeah, of the nicknames that. for bigfoot is skunk ape like did he smell like a weird rotted musky kind of a smell no, we didn't. Um, and that was, but you, you got to know that most other animals kind of have a musty smell also. So we should have. Um, and I, we didn't uh, smell anything at that time. Um, and and we, were dudes, the we were inside the tent. We were inside the tent. three dudes in a tent together. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you see, I've oftentimes thought about going back there, but it sure made it hard. The next morning to get up, get dressed, and and go out after dark to your deer stand. So here's the deal. I can't convince you that Bigfoot is real. I can't persuade you to believe everything or anything that you've just heard. All I'm asking is that you think about it. Consider the possibility that we just might not know quite everything there is to know. And that there are a lot of people out there like Dewey Vaughn. People who've seen things, who've experienced things that we don't have simple explanations for. And you know, science has yet to explain the evolutionary jump that accounts for us, modern humans. There's a pretty big gap in the fossil record of human evolution. It goes kind of like ape like human ancestor, ape like human ancestor ape-like human ancestor, and so on, and so on, and so on, and then <laughs> giant, bewildering gap in the record, which of course is sweet nectar to the creators of ancient aliens, because that gap to them means that it was the aliens messing with our hominid ancestors' DNA that created modern humanity. And I am not saying that's untrue. I'm saying, I don't know. We don't know yet. So why not leave the door cracked just a little bit for Bigfoot? Leave a light on for Sasquatch? It's not such an impossible idea. It's just a weird one. Visit our website, trueweirdstuff.com, to see some of the photos Dewey's taken of alleged Bigfoot tracks. And we'll also share some of the original newspaper stories on the Noxie monster there, too. And if you're enjoying this podcast, and we sure hope you are, please do us a huge, huge favor and rate and review, because that's truly the only way that shows like this find listeners like you. And thank you so very much for bringing all of your own weird enthusiasm for all the weird stuff. You are our people. Next time on True Weird Stuff. Who doesn't love a good April Fool's Day prank? Salt in the sugar bowl, short sheet the bed, a kick me sign taped to a co-worker's back. Better hope whoever you prank has a sense of humor. Be a shame if your idea of a little fun ended in cold-blooded murder.
And we really appreciate it if you subscribe, rate, and review True Weird Stuff. Hit our website, trueweirdstuff.com, for show notes and photos and videos when we have it and bonus content. Everything True Weird is waiting for you at trueweirdstuff.com. And follow True Weird Stuff on Instagram and Twitter. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, hit the plus button in the top right corner. And now it helps an independent podcast like ours to get discovered. True Weird Stuff is a now media production. Our executive producer is Anthony Garcia. The show is written and hosted by me, Sherry Lynch, along with my deeply weird director, Max Sweeten. Our equally odd producer is Carrie Bowser. Additional production by the mysterious Stephen Call. Our digital witch and social media cult leader is Heather Furr. Original graphics by Kevin Nash. Original artworks by Olivia Axlin. True weird original music composed and performed by Jack Griffin and Zane Nash. Copyright 2023 Now Media. All rights reserved. All wrongs remembered. And thank you to our friend Cool King Chris and fellow weirdo for letting us include his song that is about Bigfoot. Now, we're going to play it at its entirety here at the end because we couldn't quite figure out how to integrate it into the podcast. But it's coming up now. You can get all of his videos and songs on YouTube at Cool King Chris. Thank you.